0: Let me tell you a story. These words can gather a group of school children into silence. They can disarm a group of adults engaged in an argument, or they can turn an awkward silence upside down. Tell me a story, or even better, tell me your story. Well, at least for a couple of minutes this morning, let me share a little of Stu's story. With you.
1: Growing up as a kid, there's one thing that I just used to love to do all the time. I used to spend hours doing it. I'd grab my mates or my brother. Or my dad, and we would just kick a football for ages, for hours and hours and hours. I used to love just spending time just passing the ball and getting it passed back to me. We're here in my parents' back garden on a really, really lovely Wednesday morning. It's pretty horrible out here. And a couple of years ago, towards the summer, I used to come up here all of the time. On summer evenings, I would just come up here, and instead of passing a football... I would kick a football against this ledge again and again and again. It would just roll back to me. There was nobody to pass the ball to. It was just me up here. I felt really heavy. I felt trapped. For some reason, at that point in my life, I just felt this weight upon me. I was really struggling with it. I looked back to the past, to the times that I had messed up. And I just cannot forgive myself for it. I was just looking at my life at the minute and I just felt so much responsibility placed upon myself. For me, I felt as if I needed to save myself. For me, I felt trapped. But I also felt that I had the key. That for some reason, I felt as if I could be some sort of saviour.
0: Now, caring for creation might get a bit angry at this next bit, so hopefully I won't offend you and not make too much of a mess, but you'll see the point as I go along. He loves me. He loves me not. 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 The passage that we have just read this morning turns that idea totally on its head. It's a radical departure from what we know as we watch our television screens and flick through the pages of our magazines. The message, time and time again, is there's more to life. There's more to life, and you can buy it. You can achieve that look that you want. You can have all the possessions you could possibly need as long as you can charge it to your latest store card. And you can buy love along the way with a few small gifts. Resurrection living for Peterson is completely different. There's no love to be bought because it's already been purchased. It's not only on the table, but it's a non-negotiable. Our reading this morning contains a total of 201 words, apparently all one sentence in the Greek, and I'll leave it to those experts to tell me that. So 201 words, all comprising one sentence. Yet for Peterson, this is one of Paul's most dramatic uh, poems found in Scripture. Peterson comments, Who could resist this marvelous tumbling cataract of poetry that introduces us to the vast and intricate complexities of this world in which we live. Not many, he concludes. Paul in this passage is playful, he's extravagant, he's engaging as he tells us what's going on in this God-created, Jesus-saved, spirit-breathed world in which we now are growing up. When we open our eyes to this passage this morning and plunge into its depths, we can never be the same again. Our worldview totally changes. This is no small, cramped world in which we live from hand to mouth. Uh, The horizons are vast, the heavens are high, the oceans are deep, there's elbow room to spare. Put simply, this new life to which we have been called is no EasyJet or Ryan or Flight where you have to get priority boarding, you have to queue for hours, you have to pay extra for your bags. No, everything is offered to us in Christ. But how does our vision get lost? How do we translate this passion and vision that Paul shares with us about what re- resurrection life is like? and seem to live a much smaller version in reality we have the words before us yet in reality we don't experience it really we should not and cannot reduce the dimensions of the world to which god calls us to the dimensions of a world that we are more comfortable with vastness is what is offered not just offered vastness is given. And what do we do? We look at it and we say, oh, do you know, that would be lovely. But you know what? I'd rather have this smaller version of reality. For Peterson and for Paul, sin shrinks our imagination. And here in this passage this morning, Paul stretches us. Let us leave here this morning with our vision stretched. Because if we are to grow and mature and to develop or even to take Steve's title from last Sunday to grow up again, we have to be surrounded by the right conditions. So that we will be enabled to grow and meet our full potential which is in Christ in this new resurrection life. And what we need for it is found in this passage this morning, So let us plunge right in and take a look and work our way through the verses. It would seem that today isn't much different to the context to which Paul was writing. The theme of lostness comes up time and time again. Look around our world this morning and you will see lostness on most doorsteps people looking to find themselves. Think of all the magazine articles you've read, all the self-help books that are piled up in our shops, and even the films and programs that we watch on TV, which is all about discovering yourself. Paul does not leave us lost in our reading this morning, but provides us with signposts, signposts that enable us to see God at work. God at work. That's what these total of 201 words are all about. Word after word, God at work. This thing isn't finished. There's more to life than you know. It won't be fine for Paul unless it's found in God. When we're no longer lost, It's then that we can find our way home. Story, story, story. Stories keep coming up. Let me share you a little story of another friend of mine uh, in the form of a poem. And you can find the words to this on the back of your order of service. At a time in Podrig's life when things weren't making sense, when the search for identity was whirling round and round in his head and answers seemed ever beyond reach he sought counseling and wrote this poem and I said to him are there answers to all of this and he said the answer is in a story and the story's being told and I said but there's so much pain and she answered plainly pain will happen then I said, will I ever find meaning? And they said, you will find meaning where you give meaning. The answer's in a story, and the story isn't finished. In the passage we've read from Ephesians this morning, we see God's story on the one hand, we see our story on the other, and we see how they interact in the middle. The story isn't finished. The current situation you find yourselves in, or I find myself in, isn't everything that you are, as Snow Patrol would sing. No matter how big that situation, no matter the deadline that's looming, no matter the decision that has to be made, there is more. Look to this table this morning. There is more. More. More abundantly more laid before you more. Paul then as we work our way through the the passage you'll notice highlights a number of key verbs that keep jumping up at us off the page. I think this morning has to be a bit of God's sense of humor because if any of you know me you will know that spelling and grammar is not my forte. Uh, spoken english i can just about handle but see how i write on a page and you'd probably squirm in fact when i was writing my master's dissertation i received an email from my supervisor telling me that there were several pages where the sentences had no verbs i quickly raised my head in the office turned to chris and went what's a verb and there we had our very own little grammar lesson in the office so you can imagine my shock and my horror when reading this passage in Peterson's book and came across the subheading, God's Verbs. Bear with me, this could be an interesting journey. Do you ever notice how sometimes psychology replaces theology? What do I mean by that? Well, have you ever noticed how sometimes our feelings, our emotions, our health, our jobs, our friends, and our families take center stage. They preoccupy our thoughts minute after minute, hour after hour, day after day. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that they shouldn't be in our mind, but they shouldn't be primary. Because what happens if you go too far down the road with any of these? Well, it often results in God on the sidelines. Surely he's great for all those emergencies, those out-of-hours doctor's calls, those moments when we feel that we need him to intervene immediately to help us get through a particular situation. But the rest of the time, well, surely I can do that all by myself. Not according to Paul. The first verb... You can tell me if I'm right. And the passage is blessed. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Blessed. What God does comes out of who God is. God is action. We don't get to figure God out. Not in the least. We worship God as he is. When we worship God, we let God be God, and we fade away. God becomes the central player. Of course, for Peterson, there will be more to be sung, more to be prayed, more to be questioned, and more to be doubted. But the first verb is blessed. It provides us with a compass, a truth that can help us charter the unknown waters of life and to find Our way through. When we look to the scriptures, we see time and time again examples of people who were blessed, people who had received God's blessing. But we see that that blessing did not necessarily result in an easy life. We see that blessing didn't equate with no pain. We see that blessing doesn't seem to cure everything. But what we do see is that blessing provides a roadmap. It helps us find a way. We see that blessing provides hope. Blessed, blessed, blessed. Chose just as He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be a holy, to be holy and blameless before Him in love we're in on the action. I don't know about you, but for me, school was a weird place. One word filled me with absolute dread apart from grammar. The other word was PE. I hated it. I loathed those two periods in the timetable. I have lost count of the number of times on a Monday morning that I had a and wrist a stomach upset a cold or a headache or some other reason as to why i just could not possibly be involved in pe that particular week in fact my pe teacher used to call me the note man and i think it's kind of <laughs> i think it's kind of ironic that he now is an assistant minister as well so it just shows you that pe doesn't stop you <laughs> But why did that fill me with such fear and such dread? Well, simply this. I experienced firsthand on the weeks that I did do PE the agony of not being picked. Do you know the guy that nobody else really wants to be on the football team? And then you look at their faces in disgust as the teacher forces you upon them, and you have to play as a team. I'm sure I challenged every one of them, in terms of what it meant to be part of a team. I was more at ease talking on the sidelines to the other girls who had notes that were not doing PE either. But play it, I did. But the serious point is this. Not chosen suggests I have no worth. I'm not useful. I'm good for nothing. And maybe for you, it wasn't being not chosen for the sports team. Maybe it was not getting that job that you wanted. Maybe it was being not chosen to be part of that relationship. But I'm sure each of us this morning can identify with not being chosen. Yet we find again Paul turns our preconceptions and our ideas on their head. God chose us in all our messiness, in all our feeling, in all our insecurity. God chose us. And what else do we hear? Well, it wasn't some last-minute decision, some, oh, I better pick them because nobody else will. No, we were picked and chosen from the very foundation of the world. There are quite a lot of verbs in this passage. The next one that jumps out is destined. Uh, he destined us for adoption as his children. Paul implying here that life isn't random. Those events that happen out of the blue in your life or seem to, could they actually be the messy fingerprints of God all over your life? Bestowed. Grace that He freely bestowed on us, His beloved. Yet again, I'm indebted to the Greek scholars here who tell me this word only appears twice in the entire New Testament. Luke uses it in the other example when Mary gives, is told that she will give birth to the Christ child. But instead of the word bestowed, we could actually use in this context poured out. Or my favorite, Drenched. Drenched in grace. You know like a day at the Fitzroy Crabfish and if anybody was here that this year they will know this to be true. When you and the beach seem so far away from your parked car and the heavens just open, drenched. We come here this morning looking at this table knowing that no matter what we have done we are drenched in grace. Grace will come up time and time again in this Letter. Clearly, it's a point that Paul wants us to grasp. Lavished. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, lavished upon us. This morning we have an example of that directly in our line of sight at the start of the sermon we, we heard a little of Stuart's story about how his past felt heavy on his shoulders and I'm sure many of us here this morning can identify with that. Yet at this table we see a load lifted. We don't need to save ourselves because we have a saviour. The story of our wrongs of our misdeeds, the things we shouldn't have done, is found in God's story of redemption, lavished, made known. With all wisdom and insight, he has made known to us every mystery of his will. We're not stumbling around in the dark, looking for a switch to turn on. No, not at all, we're in on this. We're not children to be seen and not heard. We are growing to spiritual maturity in Christ. We're growing up. We're turning into what we have been called to be. And the, and the last verb in, the, in our reading this morning, gathered up. To gather up all things in him Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. Gather Up is the summary of all that has gone before. There's nothing that happens in this resurrection life that happens individually. It's all about community. It's corporate, it's relational, it's essential. The more we depersonalize God into an idea, the more we reduce people around us into resources to be used, the more we define ourselves as consumers, the more, the less chance we have. Of getting it right. the last chance we have of growing up. all God does this morning is verb, which I'm told means a doing word. It's all verb. creation, loving, breathing, dying, suffering, sharing, grieving. It's all verb. And this morning, on the table, we have the verb that is Jesus. Jesus, who is not only the road and the path that we walk, but how we walk it as well. There's not a single verb in this passage this morning commanding us to do anything. Not so much as a hint or a suggestion that we are to do anything at all. No requirements, no laws, no chores, no assignments no lessons. We're born into a cosmos where all the requirements and conditions for growing up have been met. God has placed them into action. We are not in the driver's seat. God is. A resurrection life this morning is a large life. God is the plot and we are the writers. The story of winners And the story of fighters. The story of love. And the story of rupture. The story of stories. The story without structure. All is gift. Grace is everywhere. Grace is in the searching and in the questions. Grace is in the smiles and in the tears. It's in the stumbling and the getting back up. It's in the sitting on the floor. It's at this table. A place where love was spelt out and set a banquet he loves me he loves me not according to this passage he loves me and there is no doubt we're going to enter into a period of reflection before we come to communion uh, Matthew's going to play a song on my laptop let's just still ourselves and hear what God is saying to us as we come to the table Let us pray. God, when human bonds are broken and we lack the lover's skill to restore the hope of healing, give us the grace to make us still. Through that stillness with your spirit, come into our world of stress, for the sake of Christ, forgiving all the failures we confess. You and us are bruised and broken. Hear us as we seek release. From the pain of earlier living, grant us free, set us free and grant us peace. Give us faith to be more faithful. Give us hope to be more true. Give us love to go on learning. God, encourage and renew. Amen.